Our text today comes to us from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Listen now for a word from God. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of humankind has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately the man stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word, God, and thank you for time set aside to wonder in it and to delight in it. God, I pray whatever words and wisdom we would hear this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know how many of you were able to catch um, Emily's sermon last week on delights. Anyone get that? Just a show of hands. And I'm not keeping count. I'm not going to shame you if you didn't. I will encourage you, though, if you, if you haven't listened to it, go, go back and listen to it. Um, it was great. It was great. And, and she really, I, I think, she made me wonder, what do I delight in? And she actually gave a space in the service to really talk about that and to think about it. And, and what a beautiful thing, you know, like how many places are left in the world where someone invites you to take some time, talk with a friend, and wonder, what do you delight in? There's so few places left like that. And so I was, I was grateful for that reason. I was grateful because it made me think. I, I felt um, just a, a little bit interrupted, though, because <laughs> I actually had my sermon written for today until I listened to her sermon, and then I thought, oh, gosh, I, <laughs> I'm feeling some inspiration. You might say the spirit is moving, and I can't ignore that. You know, it's kind of my job to pay attention to that, and so um, all my plans for my sermon were thrown out, and I had to <laughs> write a new one. So thank you, Emily, for all that extra work. <laughs> No, but um, you, you should go back and listen to it. It's on our YouTube page and, and really wonder what she's asked us to wonder, which is what do you delight in? And I, I took that seriously this week. I, I actually sat down and came up with a top 10 list of things that Pastor Garrett delights in. 
And I actually asked uh, Sarah as well, Pastor Sarah, to do a top 10 list as well. And we're actually, we're going to read those for you today. And, and I just want to preface this. Uh, there are going to be some marital differences that come out here, all right? <laughs> and and y'all are going to be privy to that. I want you to know we're okay. We, we talked about this ahead of time. I am not shaming Pastor Sarah with what, what's going to be revealed here. I am simply telling the truth. So, Pastor, if you wouldn't mind coming down, we're going to read these out. This is the top ten things that your pastors delight in. This is not great PR for us either, by the way. <laughs> so, if you wouldn't mind, can we, can we get her mic on? I, yep, I'm okay. on. You're on? Do you have it? Oh, I've got it. Okay, okay. And I want you to read my version because I don't want oh. any changes. All okay, right? okay. So if you can start at number 10 and, and work okay. your way down. Sure. And then I'd, I'd love your help as a crowd, you know. So, Pastor Sarah, I want you to have a cadence with it, something mm. like. Mm. So number 10 thing that Pastor Sarah delights in, and then you're going to read it. And then as a crowd, I want you all to go, just make like a sound, like a maybe a woo. Ooh. Can we do a woo? Can we practice that? Woo. Ooh. There we go. There we so go. So this is, this is like a... David Letterman, aging myself sort of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, the top 10 things that I, Sarah, delight in. Number 10. Number 10, yes. The book of Exodus. Woo! Ah. <laughs> the number nine thing that I delight in, the feeling of sore muscles. Woo! <laughs> number eight, baby cuddles. Oh. Yeah, right. Number seven, the smell of olive oil and garlic cooking on the stove. Oh, yeah. Mm, right? <laughs> Number six, watching people notice things. Ooh. The number five thing that I delight in, mountains. Mmm. <laughs> number four, a blank Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. The number three thing I delight in, the feeling of genuine curiosity. Woo! Number two, falling snow. Ooh. <laughs> and the number one thing that I, Sarah, delight in, the sound of Naima's laughter. Oh. <laughs> thank you, Leah. Let's give her a hand. Let's give her a hand. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, so same thing with me. If you yes. can, if you can lead the woos. Yes, I will lead the now, woos pay, just faithfully. Pay close, pay very close attention here, <laughs> and, I, and I'll, I'll give you some help too. These are the top ten things that Pastor Garrett delights in: a warm number ten, a warm, quiet room with a book slash the Bible, or a pen and paper. Ooh. Ooh thank you. Number nine, yard slash housework. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Number eight, camping. Ah. <laughs> Number seven, watching my neighbor religiously feed the squirrels and birds and now my dogs. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Number six, my daughter's laugh. Ah. Hmm? Number five, passionate people trying to save the world through transformation. And let me add uh, for a caveat, like the great ocean cleanup, Whoever's behind that, I delight in that. Mm. So, ah. Yeah. Number four, hanging out with Pastor Sarah. Ah. 
Number three, exercise sore muscles. Ah. Number two, staying up late telling stories with friends. Ooh. And number one, family hugs and kisses. Aww. That's where Naima, you know, once a blue moon will want to hug with the whole family, and then we both get kisses on the cheeks, and it's, <laughs> it's the only time she's affectionate. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Pastor Sarah. But did you notice that I am missing from Pastor Sarah's <laughs> list? And she, and she is not missing from my list. I tried to offer an edit, but he wouldn't let me no, later. There was, so. there were no edits after I saw it. Also, uh, a blank Excel spreadsheet, which isn't even a thing until you print it. It's, it's an inanimate object, oh. is on a list that I am not included on. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I'm sorry. I do delight in you. Just <laughs> yeah. number 11. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just after Excel. I'm number 11. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. This time next year, I hope to be uh, cracking the top five. So pray for me. Pray for me. I, I hope you all take some time to think about what you delight in because, you know, that, that exercise was so good for me just to think about things that I love, like, like seeing my neighbor go outside to feed all the birds and the squirrels in the neighborhood, and now she's, she's begun taking milk bones to my dog, you know, my dogs. And so, like, I, I love those things, but it's so great to reflect on those. And it's such a good exercise, especially during this season with Thanksgiving coming up and the holidays. I, I think it's a practice we need to really be intentional about. So think about, think about your own top ten list. The reason that Pastor Emily's sermon sort of derailed me was I started to th ask this question. You know, here on Christ the King Sunday, I, I was thinking, what, what is Christ? What does Jesus delight in? You know, what would Jesus say in response to this question? And some of you might say, well, everything. Jesus loves everything. And, you know, that, that might be true, but I wonder specifically what Jesus would say. And then I, I started thinking about Christ the King Sunday. And I thought about, you know, we have a complicated relationship calling Jesus King, don't we? Like, it, it, it's hard to use that language for us because we're sort of at a time when we know and, and, and we can remember and we can study and think about all the damage that monarchies <laughs> have caused throughout human history, the damage that kings have caused. And, and we sort of know um, the tendency of kings, we might say. And that is that they conquer, and they colonize, and they take over things, and they tax, and on and on and on. And so to call Jesus a king, I, at least for me, may, maybe not for you, always feels a little bit weird. <laughs> always feels a little bit inauthentic. Always feels like maybe there's something missing there. And so I started to wonder what would a king like Jesus, what would a king like Christ delight in? And I'd like to try to answer that this morning. So in our text for today, Jesus' ministry is actually just beginning in the book of Luke. And um, he, he's sort of gaining quite a bit of popularity. People like what he's teaching. Some people don't like what he's teaching, but it's interesting enough. It's fresh enough that they're showing up and they're, they're curious 
um, whether their intentions are pure curiosity or not is up to your judgment. But they're there, and they're showing up. And he's begun doing what he's going to do most of his you know, time left on earth, which is teaching other people and interpreting the scriptures and offering healing. And so he's, he's doing this. And some commentators believe that the, the day the story we read this morning took place was actually, it was at Peter's house. And so he's at, he's at Peter's house, and he's invited some folks to come in and listen to him teach and sort of expound on the scriptures. And, in fact, it says in, in Luke that they came from all over the region to gather in the house so that the place is packed. But it's not packed just with his normal crowd of people that are there to, you know, listen to him. It's packed with folks that are teachers of the law, folks that are scribes, folks that are religious authorities, some people that work in the temple. These are folks that know their stuff, and they want to hear what Jesus has to say. And so they pack this house out so that no one can really get in. In fact, they're kind of like overflowing out of the door. They're peeking their head in windows, pressing their ear against the wall. They're being kept out <laughs> from hearing Jesus teach because there are so many of them. Well, when more people keep coming, you know, maybe some of them stay, but some are turned away. But there's this one group that shows up. It's four, four guys, and they're carrying another person on a cot, almost like pallbearers. And they're carrying a man who is paralyzed from the waist down. And they are seeking healing for this man because he's their friend. And what they want for him is not necessarily, the, it, it's not that he can't walk and, and they just want him to walk. What, what they want for him is him to be restored back into community because if he can walk again, he can join them for work. He can join them for worship. He won't be considered a sinner anymore. So he's allowed to participate in community and in society once again. This is what they're seeking, and they know that Jesus can offer that. But they can't get through the door because there are so many religious leaders and religious authorities that are packed in there, and they formed kind of this wall between the man who needs healing and Jesus, the one who can heal. And so they find a different way to go through. The way that houses were constructed back then, uh, they were typically just like a giant block and on the side, often, not, not all the time, but often, there would be kind of a precarious staircase that you could take up to get onto the roof to maybe make, you know, minor repairs or whatever. It's not like they were throwing parties on these roofs, though, okay? They weren't that sturdy. And so what these men do that are carrying their friend on the cot, they go up this set of stairs and they get on top of the roof and they start peeling back the mud and the grass, and the twigs, and the sticks, and everything that, that is there, until pretty soon they've got this giant hole in the roof, and it's big enough for them to lower their friend down into him. As Jesus is teaching, and he's got all these people around him, I read one commentary said that um, it's probably the case that dust was falling on them, and giant chunks of mud, and rocks, and grass, and so everyone knows what is going on, um, and they're probably looking up, waiting to see, like, what, what is about to happen? They're cutting a hole in the roof to hear this guy teach, and then soon this body begins to be lowered, and it goes right into the center of the room, and soon this paralyzed man is laying at Jesus' feet, 
And everyone's waiting to see what's going to happen. I think Jesus is showing a little bit of humor here, even if he means exactly what he says. I think maybe he's trying to cut some tension in the room. He says, you know, he's looking up at the hole that they just cut in the roof at Peter's house and looking at this guy down here, and he says to him, he says, friends, your sins are forgiven. And I say it's a little bit of humor because Jesus knows who his audience is, right? He knows it's religious leaders, teachers of the law. He also knows that what he's speaking is blasphemy and heresy. And it's actually one behavior and a series of behaviors that's eventually going to get him executed by the state. It's not something that you joke around about all the time, but maybe it could be taken as humor if, you know, he's saying it to a bunch of religious leaders, but they don't get the joke and they don't see the humor in it. And they're actually pretty upset. How could you do that? Who has the authority, they're thinking, to forgive sins but God? And Jesus knows this. Luke says Jesus knows this. Jesus intuits from them, from their stares, probably from the awkward silence that had fallen in the room after he said that. He, he knows what they're thinking. And so he says to them, he says, what's this? What is all of this? Why are you thinking these things? What's, it e what's easier to do for me to say, friend, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk? And at that moment, the man stands up, and he takes his mat, <laughs> and he walks. And his four friends, I imagine, sort of climb down the stairs, and they meet him at the door, and this sea, this wall, really, of religious authorities and teachers of the law, it's sort of parted like the Red Sea. And this man walks out between them, dragging his mat behind him. And he's reunited with his friends. He's reunited with his community. He's allowed to go and worship. And in some versions of this story, Jesus actually tells him to go to the temple to offer the necessary sacrifices, to tell the priest. And he's able to do that now with his friends. And so the one who was marginalized, the one who was pushed out, the one who was kept out, not because of anything that he did. He was likely born this way. The one who can't heal himself, the one who can't pick himself up by his bootstraps, the one who has just found himself in this situation and is called a sinner, is ostracized by society, is not allowed to participate in anything. This one is now restored redeemed, and you might even say saved, in a sense. And he's not saved, again, because suddenly he has the power to walk. It's not about his ability and his body's function. It's about his reconnection with his community. It's about not being isolated anymore. And that is what Jesus delights in. That is what Christ the King delights in. You know, a normal king would not delight in going after the one person that needs healing. He would probably just consider them a burden and say, oh, we'll just wait for him to pass or whatever. I don't have time to think about that. Kings don't make the time to think about those people. They make time to think about conquering lands, building their wealth, growing their army, taxing people, 
not Christ the King. Jesus delights in the transformation of even one life being brought back into community after they had been excluded. Jesus delights in the transformation of someone that comes seeking healing. Jesus delights, too, in disrupting the worldview of the religious authorities that are gathered around and have literally created a barrier between the one who can heal and the one who needs healing. Jesus delights in tearing those walls down. You know, I don't know what Jesus would list his top ten list of things he delights in, and we might have some fun guessing that, and I'd, I'd love to see that list sometime. But I think this is up there. The best thing about this is that at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, Jesus, Christ the King, he hasn't conquered the world like you might expect. In fact, by all accounts, he's still losing by the time he goes. And his kingdom really hasn't made a push, and people really aren't getting the message, and it looks pretty dim and hopeless. But he says to his disciples, and so to all of you, he says, now you go and you do the same. The things that you've seen me do, the teachings that you've heard me teach, the things that you have witnessed, you go and do. And he says to the disciples, and I believe this is in Luke, so at the end of this story, he says, you will go and do even greater things than these. And so friends, as we think about Christ as king, whether or not we're persuaded to call him that or not, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is that we go. And instead of trying to conquer the world as a church, instead of trying to fill this sanctuary with so many new young people and making sure that we're the best place to be, instead of going and trying to take over the world like a normal king, maybe we should begin by transforming one life, restoring one person to their community, and then continuing to do that as the opportunities arise. May we go like Christ the King and try to transform the world. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your son. Thank you for his delights. God, be with us as we go, and we try to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.